0: Hello and welcome to Alert, radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Ashley Titterton.
1: And I'm Michael Welch. On this very special episode of Alert, the final episode for the season, we will speak with former guests and Canadian Dimension contributors about the election just completed and the prospects for the country moving forward.
0: The alert headlines for the week of May 5th, 2011. Prime Minister Stephen Harper's Conservative Party has won a majority of seats in the historic election that saw the new Democratic Party become the official opposition. The Conservatives won 167 of the 308 electoral districts, earning 40% of the vote. Elections Canada reported. Mr. Harper went into the vote having headed two successive minority Conservative governments since 2006. His party held 143 seats in the House of Commons prior to the dissolution of the last government. Analysts say the Prime Minister has slowly nudged the country further to the right during his five-year tenure. He has lowered sales and corporate taxes, avoided signing climate change legislation, and become a stark advocate of Arctic sovereignty. He has also increased military spending and extended Canada's military mission in Afghanistan. Mr. Harper's government was forced into an election after a no-confidence vote in Parliament. It was found to be in contempt of Parliament because of its failure to disclose the full costs of anti-crime programs, corporate tax cuts, and plans to purchase stealth fighter jets from the U.S. NDP
1: leader Jack Layton declared, A new chapter begins after his party easily vaulted over the Liberals in Monday's federal election. For the first time in history, the New Democrats have become official opposition. Leighton's campaign got off to a slow start, but it took off after the English and French debates, when polls suggested his party was gaining, especially in Quebec, at the expense of the slumping Bloc Québécois. The NDP went into the campaign with 37 seats, compared with 77 for the Liberals and 143 for the Conservatives. Leighton's total this time will be 102, as the Liberals and Bloc slumped badly. The NDP is looking at winning 59 ridings in Quebec alone. The bloc is down to four seats as votes. These are historic numbers for the NDP, who now have the biggest block of seats aside from the Conservatives.
0: Canada's voter turnout rate inched up to 61.4% according to Elections Canada's preliminary estimates. There were 14.7 million Canadians who elected a Conservative majority government on Monday night, pushing the preliminary voter turnout rate to 61.4% up from 59.1% in 2008. Canada's two largest provinces also saw their voter turnout rates rise from 2008 levels. In Ontario, 62.2% of registered voters showed up to vote in Monday's election. The Conservatives saw their hold on the province increase as the party won 77 of 106 seats. In 2008, the province's voter turnout rate was 59.1%. Michael
1: Ignatieff is quitting as the Liberal leader after his party took an electoral drubbing on Monday night. The Liberals were reduced to 34 seats in the House of Commons, down from 77, and won only 18.9% of the popular vote. Not only did Ignatieff leave the party to its worst showing in its history, but he also lost his Toronto-area seat in Etobicoke Lakeshore. Despite his party's disastrous showing, Ignatieff said he believes the party can return as a political force. During the news conference, Ignatyev said Canada needs a party of the political centre. He downplayed talk of a merger with the NDP. Under Ignatyev's leadership, the Liberals suffered electoral casualties across the country, including in some of the party's traditional strongholds.
0: In other news, British Prime Minister David Cameron says the killing of Osama bin Laden won't necessarily lead to a speedier withdrawal for foreign troops from Afghanistan. Cameron told BBC Radio on Tuesday that bin Laden's death was, quote, clearly a helpful development, but it will not necessarily change any timetables, end quote. NATO and U.S. forces plan to quit their combat role in Afghanistan by the end of 2014. The U.S. plans to begin pulling out some of its nearly 100,000 troops in July. Canada plans to end its combat mission in Afghanistan by the end of 2011, but soldiers will remain in the country until 2014 to act as trainers for the Afghan army. The Guardian
1: newspaper reports scores of Syria's most prominent intellectuals and activists have gone into hiding as government forces continue to carry out raids and arrests across the country. Human rights organizations estimate the Syrian authorities have detained more than 7,000 people since protests began in mid-March. About 600 people have been killed. Meanwhile, a journalist with Al Jazeera named Dorothy Parvaz has been missing since Friday. Parvaz is an American, Canadian, and Iranian citizen. She used to work at the Seattle Post Intelligencer and was a Nieman Fellow at Harvard University.
0: As Palestinian political factions prepared Tuesday to formally sign a political reconciliation agreement in Cairo, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called on the Palestinian Authority to pull out of the deal, saying it would jeopardize the already stalled Middle East peace process. Netanyahu called on Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas to immediately cancel the reconciliation deal with Hamas and choose the path of peace with Israel. The Egyptian-brokered agreement, a word of which was first announced last week, seeks to mend the political differences between the two largest Palestinian factions, Abbas's party, the West Bank-backed Fatah, and the Islamist group Hamas, which rules Gaza. The agreement between Hamas, Fatah, and the other smaller Palestinian factions calls for the establishment of a new Palestinian caretaker government and for parliamentary and presidential elections to be held next year. Those were the alert headlines for May 5th, 2011. Now for Around the Left for the week of May 5th, 2011.
1: The third conference on the impact of Canadian mining on local communities throughout the world is set to take place May 6th to 8th in Toronto. Mining Injustice. Confronting Corporate Impunity will feature several keynote speakers and workshops organized along themes of gendered violence, militarization, indigenous perspectives, labor rights, and environmental effects. The conference will be held at Sydney Smith Hall, room 2117 at the University of Toronto. For more information, go to the Mining Injustice Solidarity Network's website at solidarityresponse.net.
0: The Mayworks Festival of Working People and the Arts will take place this year from May 7th to 15th in Toronto. Festival highlights include a labour history walking tour of Toronto called Mapping Our Work on the 8th and the launch of the Stop Wage Theft campaign on May 13th. For more information on the festival in Toronto and other centres, visit mayworks.ca. The International Educational Conference, Socialism 2011, Their Crisis, Our Solutions, is scheduled for May 19th to 22nd at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education in Toronto. The conference features discussion panels, keynote speakers, and live music. Speakers include John Clark, organizer for the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, B.C. Holmes, representing the Toronto-Haiti Action Committee, and Khaled Muammar, president of the Canadian Arab Federation. For more information, including registration costs, please visit socialistaction-canada.blogspot.com.
1: The Rebels Feminist Movement is inviting all young women between 14 and 35 years of age to the second Pan-Canadian Young Feminist Gathering. This gathering is a great opportunity for young women to learn about the varied understandings of feminism, to share struggles and discuss strategies of resistance and create solidarity among young feminists in Canada. The gathering will be held in Winnipeg from May 20th to 23rd. For more information, go to rebelles.org.
0: That's all for Around the Left for the week of May 5th, 2011. What's your take on the election results and what happens now? Alert has contacted 10 of our regulars and a few newcomers to our show to get their comments. We'll begin with John Cartwright, president of the Toronto and York Region Labour Council. John, how do you assess the results of the election and where do we go from here?
2: Well, the mood in Toronto last night was certainly a sense of bittersweet that uh, we're very pleased with eight uh, New Democrat seats in the city of Toronto, breaking through many areas that people worked hard on, but incredibly fearful of what a conservative majority will bring. Uh, there's no doubt that Stephen Harper will now unleash a, a serious neocon agenda with continental integration, uh, militarization and orgy of trade deals with europe and and with other countries. And we'll continue to say that uh, the tar sands is a crucial driver of the Canadian economy. And of course, that hurts many other sectors because of the petrodollar. We were, uh, I think, very gratified to see Jack Layton's leadership in this because of how sick he'd been not a year ago, and uh, the kind of stamina that was exhibited in his performance across the country. Um, Reaching clearly uh, ordinary working people in requesting their support for for his vote, I don't think anybody here could have seen the collapse of the bloc québécois, and certainly nobody here saw the Liberal Party collapsing in the way that it did they uh, you know they They lost almost a million more votes this time uh, again than they did last time, eight hundred thousand votes last time, another nine hundred thousand votes, and the entire greater Toronto area, the nine o five region only holding one seat. Uh, is stunning, has huge implications for the provincial election as well. And I think that the knowing now that uh, there will have to be built mass movements uh, to uh, contest the direction that Harper's going to take our country, but also to ensure that what happened yesterday doesn't roll out into the provincial uh, reality this fall and bring a conservative victory to Queen's Park in Ontario.
0: Thank you for your thoughts, John. You're welcome. That was John Cartwright, the president of the Toronto and York Region Labour Council. Here's Judy Rebick, the founder of Rabble.ca, a frequent guest on Alert and blogger on the Canadian Dimension website. Judy, what's your take on the election outcome and where do we go from here?
3: Well, (laughs) um, this is what I wrote my blog about today. Um, Basically, you know... Harper got his majority, which I think is a disaster for Canada. Um, I think that he will bring in a right-wing agenda that will change. You know, it's, he's already done it, right? He's already brought in so many things that change the nature of the country as we know it. But it's going to get a lot worse, really a lot worse. I think the the NDP win is uh, is a huge victory for them. I mean, there's no question about that, that it really... Uh, You know, Jack Layton set out a uh, a few elections ago to replace Liberals as the other governing party of Canada, and uh, he's a big, huge step in that direction. Um, But there's a limit to what um, the NDP can do in opposition with a majority Conservative government, which ignored the opposition when they were a minority. So I think we have to be quite sober about that, and, and I also think that, We have to be sober about uh, what's ahead. And I think there's really tough times ahead for unions and for social movements. So um, from my point of view, I think, um, you know, we need to look at uh, mobilizing, that we need a radical movement of the kind that we used to have in the 80s and the 70s and that we haven't really seen in a long time in Canada, um, except, you know, we've seen marginal, we've seen people out on the streets, you know, and occasionally a mass fight back like like happened during the G20, but it's, uh, it's not enough, and we have to be able to mobilize that uh, in response to any initiative and uh, to develop alternatives ourselves. And I think that the left has to, uh, even though, you know, on, in electoral terms, it's the liberals and the Bloc Québécois that have to do some soul-searching, I think that the extra-parliamentary left has to do some soul-searching as well. Because we really failed to connect to the new, um, the new forces that are emerging. We failed to connect to um, marginalized uh, groups in 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 the the cities and the suburbs, Um, and we failed to sufficiently support the indigenous movements who are emerging
0: who's going to have to do the mobilizing that you're that you're speaking of well i mean i think it's you know
3: it's got to be a new generation you know like i'm i'm getting i'm getting on (laughs) i'm not you know it's not going to be our generation my generation i think it has to be a new generation that has been active quite activist mostly online and through cultural struggles and uh starting to mobilize more uh, in terms of organization, but I think that there has to be more uh, links across class and across race and across the country, well, and, I, and particularly Quebec, Canada, which I think there's an opening for now with the new NDP caucus.
0: Thanks for your thoughts, Judy. Judy Rebick is the founder of Rabble.ca and a frequent guest on Alert Radio.
1: Alert has reached Eric Derry. Uh, the uh, Quebec director of Greenpeace. So, uh, welcome to Alert, Eric. Now, could you tell us, uh, as an environmentalist and as a Québécois, how do you assess the results of this election?
4: Well, I think, first of all, I think it's important to to say that the uh, the conservative government uh, did not uh, uh, get a mandate to ignore uh, important uh, environmental issues uh, of great concerns to, uh, to Canadians, like climate change. Um, a majority of Canadians actually voted for candidates that had actually uh, a far better environmental record and uh, programs than the Conservatives. So we hope that uh, the current, uh, the new government will not uh, basically ignore the majority of uh, of Canadians on, on, on this issue.
1: Okay, do you have any other uh, thoughts in terms of um, the direction you expect things to go?
4: Well, I mean, again, um, I mean, in, in the previous parliaments, I mean, the, the ARPA government strongly supported uh, development of, uh, of uh, the Alberta tar sands and did, in fact, very, very little to address the climate change and uh, other environmental concerns. Um, this is uh, not the energy policy that I think most uh, Canadians uh, wanted. I think they wanted a kind of a clean energy future where renewable energy was at the center of it. So I think what uh, is needed really in Canada and what what people want really from the the, the federal government is basically to end our addiction to fossil fuels. That means ending subsidies to the tar sands companies. I mean, let's remember that... uh, uh, we, as taxpayers in Canada, give 1.4 billion dollars to oil companies, and we know that those oil companies make a lot of money already, so they don't need subsidies from from the taxpayers. Uh, we should also save the northern BC coastline from all tankers, because now there's going to be lots of pressure on exporting the tar sands to uh, to Asia, and that means more uh, oil tankers near the uh, the bc coast um we should also i mean you know have a moratorium on all drilling in the optic um, as, as you know the Arctic is a very fragile ecosystem and we need to have a moratorium in place um, in order to to to, to preserve it um, we should also you know remember that uh, shale gas uh, has been a very controversial issue in, in quebec there's been lots of public uh, and citizen resistance against shale gas, um, but there is another threat now, which is actually the drilling in the Gulf of Saint Lawrence uh, in Quebec, in the old Arri uh, oil field. Um, and then finally, I think we should not ignore the uh, the, the disaster, the nuclear disaster in Fukushima. Um, and again, the federal government is spending lots of money. Uh, to subsidizing the, uh, the nuclear industry. We should definitely make sure that the nuclear industry in Canada has, is you know, responsible for the full cost of nuclear accidents. I mean, currently, uh, there's a limitation on liability, which means uh, the nuclear industry is only liable for $75 million. Eric,
1: is, uh, what, what do you expect Greenpeace to be doing in the face of these threats that you mentioned?
4: Well, again, I think um, Greenpeace uh, made an assessment back in 2007 when we had already a minority conservative government that we needed to mobilize even more public opinion, uh, more of the citizens to actually take more actions uh, to resist those very, very bad and damaging environmental uh, uh, issues. Um, and it's why we actually, uh, you know, launched the, uh, the Tarzan campaign in 2007. It's why we actually conducted very hard-hitting uh, campaign in the Tarzans, uh, blocking uh, the production of Tarzans uh, the production of Tarzans in in Alberta, uh, to send a message internationally and also to Canadians that uh, what was being done in our names in in Alberta and and to show the contradictions and the, link a bit, the linkages between the private uh, oil companies and uh, the, uh, the government in, in Ottawa.
1: Okay, Eric, I want to thank you very much for your thoughts. That was Eric Derrier, who's the Quebec director of Greenpeace.
0: We're here now with Clayton Thomas Mueller of the Indigenous Environmental Network and a member of the Canadian Dimension Collective. Clayton, wearing either one or both of your Indigenous or Tar Sands activist hats, can you give us your perspective on the results of the federal election?
5: Well, I think that, um, you know, it's unfortunate that Canada's electoral model, um, you know, has vulnerabilities that allows for the kind of strategies that were implemented by the now Conservative majority government led by Prime Minister Harper. It's unfortunate that, you know, less than 50% of the voting public uh, could... Could, could elect a, a government, uh, a majority government, um, you know, that, that, uh, that, that left out so many voices in the voting public. I think that it's, I think that it's quite impressive though, on the other hand, that Jack Layton and the NDP have had such an incredible orange tidal wave and acquired so many seats, although it is an unknown, uh, a very big unknown what the dynamics will be like in the new NDP caucus with so many new seats represented of course by Quebec um i think as an indigenous person as an activist uh, concerned about issues of climate change concerned about issues of uh, massive sacrifice zones like the canadian tar sands in northern alberta concerned about you know the missing and murdered aboriginal women and the lack of priority that the harper administration has placed on the rights of women um i think that you know, for me, I have great concern about this time, but you know, what it represents to me as a person, uh, that, ha- you know, puts most of the weight, uh, of social change on this sacred mother earth into social movements and not elections. I see this as a quickening, uh, here in Canada of the responsibility that we as organizers have on the streets, uh, to really mobilize a popular political uprising against the oppressive uh you know in racist policies of the Harper government uh and i think that we've got an ally in the official opposition party uh led by Jack Layton and so we've got a lot of work to do um, i think that you know in the fight for environmental economic and climate justice now more than ever it's important that we bring together diverse social movements in terms of indigenous rights uh women's movement the labor movement student movement and all others so that we can organize over the next four years during the the upcoming Harper reign uh, to create the world that we want to see here in this young country that we call Canada.
0: Well, thanks for your thoughts, Clayton. Thank you so much. That was Clayton Thomas-Mueller of the Indigenous Environmental Network.
1: And... uh Alert has also reached Leo Panitch. He's a political scientist at York University and co-editor of the Socialist Register. So, Leo Panitch, uh, what are your thoughts about the recent election?
6: Well, it's uh, a depressing day at one level. Uh, you know, one saw the surge in support for the NDP, uh, and the polls seem to be showing that they're uh, only be a minority government for harper and so one really felt that this was a repudiation of uh... the tory government of neoliberalism uh... the appalling foreign policy that we've been subjected to and uh... here we are waking up to yes the liberal party being displaced which is historic in institutional terms in canada uh... but uh, facing a, a majority uh, harper government uh... which uh... will be uh, extremely difficult for canada for the next four or five years uh... and and uh... it takes the wind out of one's sails. uh... that said uh... to come back to the left side of the spectrum uh... it's very very significant That the Liberal Party has been turned into a rump. It doesn't mean they're necessarily sidelined forever, but there is a good probability that uh, what we're seeing is uh, the switching of the Liberal Party to the minority party status in the way that happened in Britain uh, a century ago with the Liberal Party. Uh, Now, the big question, then, is what will happen with the NDP? It is a very conventional Social Democratic Party. I don't have to tell people in Manitoba that. And uh, rather uh, tragically, uh, one heard on uh, the CTV News just before the results started being announced last night that uh, people from the nc at you know, the senior level of the NDP have called Bay Street and said you don't have to worry about us. We are a responsible governments. Uh we will balance the budget. We see ourselves in the Ro- Roy Romano and Gary Doer tradition. So they were citing uh Manitoba's quite conventional government uh under Doer in that respect in order to prove themselves to business. And I say tragically because the media and most Canadians treat this as the weather. That the real people who control our lives are on Bay Street, and the NDP was sucking up to them. Uh, so I fear that that what will happen uh, is that uh, the NDP will attempt to prove itself to be responsible in those terms, and rather than unleash all these remarkable young activists who've been elected, especially in Quebec. So they become socialist educators and mobilizers and actually show Canadians uh, how undemocratic our economy is, Uh, that they will be used as uh, lobby fodder to applaud late in the question period in Parliament. Um, That may get the NDP elected uh, next time around, uh, depending on what the Tories do and how Canadians react to it. Uh, But if it does, and uh, we get a very conventional uh, social democratic government, um, uh, this isn't what we would have been so elated about last night had things gone
1: slightly differently. Okay, Leo Panich, I want to thank you very much for that feedback. And that was Leo Panich, a political scientist at York University and co-editor of the Socialist Register.
0: Andrea Levy is a Montreal-based historian and translator and a member of the Canadian Dimension Collective. Welcome back to Alert, Andrea. We're interested in your assessment of the election results.
7: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, There are many things that I could say about this nation-changing election, but since I'm a Quebecer talking to an English-Canadian audience, I want to stress that the routing of the Bloc Québécois should in no way be read as a sign of the waning of national aspirations in Quebec as many Anglo-Canadians seem to believe, including some like Stephen Lewis, who ought to be politically savvy enough to know better. Actually, I'd go further still and suggest that this election went quite a long way toward creating the much-discussed winning conditions for a referendum on sovereignty. Many political progressive French Quebecers turned away from the bloc and toward the NDP for two main reasons. One, they saw preventing a Harper majority as a goal that transcended all other interests. And they gambled that a surge of support for the NDP in Quebec could create sufficient nationwide momentum to stop or at least contain the Harpocrats. Two, the left wing of the bloc in particular was critical of the party's relative neglect of social issues and fed up with having its vote taken for granted. Moreover, many left nationalists made the point that the bloc was not really an effective vehicle in the bid for independence, and that the question of sovereignty is not going to be settled in Ottawa, but rather here in Quebec. Hence, they were prepared to support a party that historically has no traction and virtually no base here. Then we can factor in Leighton's personal attractiveness, and conversely, Ignatieff's total lack of appeal, which ruled the liberals out as an option for many soft nationalists and francophone federalists. The fact that the rest of the country gave Harper his sought-after majority will not sit well among those Quebecers who feel rightly that they did their bit to forestall this outcome. The political cleavage between Quebec and the rest of Canada is undeniable. Less than 17% of Quebec voters supported the Conservatives, while Tory support exceeded 40% in seven other provinces. To my mind, that's a real recipe for a resurgence of sovereignty sentiment. Already, I see many of my friends and acquaintances feeling very bitter about the election results and seeing it as a definitive confirmation that Quebec has no home in the Canadian Federation. And this time around, and I think I'm not only speaking for myself here, many Anglo-progressives may rally to that point of view. The more Harper, with his right-wing Republican-style Christian evangelist agenda, transforms Canada into a country indistinguishable from the United States. The less reason there will be not to take up the arduous and complex task of building an independent nation in Quebec. Thank you.
0: And that was Andrea Levy, a historian and translator in Montreal and a, mem- a member of the Canadian Dimension Collective.
1: And alert has also reached Dennis Pilon. He is the political scientist at the University of Victoria and also a Canadian Dimension Collective member. So, hello, Dennis. Uh, do you have a left coast view of the election hello there. outcome?
8: Well, uh, yeah, the left coast. What's going on around here? I mean, we were one of the um, few areas in English Canada to beat back the Conservatives a little bit. Um, You know, everybody else didn't seem to be doing their part. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is an historic election in more ways than one. I mean, it's historic uh, because we've now seen a a Conservative majority government elected, a Conservative government that many felt was far too extreme uh, to be elected to a majority, and yet here they've done it. Uh, They've done it, of course, with 40% of the popular vote. So, I mean, a majority of Canadians have said quite clearly they don't want what the Conservatives are offering, but uh, but they're going to get it anyway. It's historic because uh, we've seen this breakthrough for the NDP in Quebec, something that many people had said could never happen, and of course was one of the great tragedies of Canadian uh, social democracy, was that the two wings could not seem to get their act together, uh, that Quebec uh, and English uh, Canada... Both had strong social democratic roots, but they could not unify into some kind of national vision, uh, and that was allowing, of course, the Liberals and the Conservatives to dominate. Now it appears uh, that Quebecers have said uh, yes to the NDP, uh, so it's a very exciting time, I think, uh, for how is this going to play out uh, in, into the future. And then it's historic to see Elizabeth May uh, win her seat, a uh, party that got a million votes in the last election but didn't elect anybody, get a breakthrough into our, our, our parliament. I think that there's a lot of particularly young people uh, excited about the election of the Greens, and Elizabeth May herself is, is a very impressive person.
1: Now, uh, of course, it's a conservative majority, so uh, even with the NDP as the official opposition, um what happens now? How do we? How, how can uh, people of a left persuasion uh, potentially influence this uh, parliament?
8: Well, they'd better get ready to start organizing, because uh, we are going to see a juggernaut of conservative radicalism. Uh, Stephen Harper is not a brokerage politician. This man is interested in legacy. He is interested in changing this country for the good. And we are going to see a host of uh, far-right conservative policies come down the pike, and they are going to use their majority to ram them through. And the only thing that may give them pause is organized resistance. Uh, There is going to have to be people hitting the streets. There's going to have to be people uh, organizing in communities uh, to let uh, this government know that they do not reflect the majority of Canadians, far from it. Uh, we can't rely strictly on the NDP in Parliament. I'm sure they're going to do their best, but it's going to have to come at both both sides. The NDP are going to have to do their job, and uh, and people out in the streets are going to have to do their job as well.
1: Okay, so uh, we'll have to leave it at that, but I want to thank you for uh, those uh, uh, potentially inspiring thoughts.
8: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't I don't have any, you know, magic pill for people to take, but uh, I, I think it does look pretty dark right now with a conservative majority.
1: Okay, thanks a lot, Dennis. Thanks. And that was Dennis Pilon, political scientist at the University of Victoria and Canadian Dimension collective member.
0: Next, we have Richard Saunders, head of the Coalition to Oppose the Arms Trade. Richard, welcome back to Alert. How do you assess the results of the election, uh, particularly from a defense policy or foreign policy point of view?
9: Well, I'm uh, I'm very happy that the... Uh, in a number of different ways. Um, I guess that uh, people finally figured out that the Liberal Party is really a right-wing corporate party, and they already have another one of those, so what if they don't really need two of them? Um, with... Uh, Ignatieff, as their leader, they really were very clearly uh, pro-American. I mean, he was uh, pro-Iraq war, in favor of the ballistic missile defense weapons, pro-torture, pro-Bush, pro-U.S. wars. So they didn't really need two uh, right-wing parties, so the Liberal parties out of the picture. Um, it's great to see that the NDP um, did so well. They'll make a really great... A much better uh, opposition, a real opposition to the Conservatives. And of course, it's really upsetting to see them get a majority. But this way, people will learn what they're like, perhaps, and maybe people will the t- the pendulum will swing back away from them, and maybe the NDP will make even more gains in the next election. Now, having said that about the NDP and how good it is to have them. Uh, increase their uh, power and their uh, presence on Parliament. I think it's really important for activists in the NDP and for the for social movements to really um, try to influence the NDP and try to keep them from um, moving more towards a mainstream uh, position. On a number of foreign policy and uh, military defense issues, because um, there is a tendency, of course, with any party when they get closer to power, to to compromise on some of their uh, positions. And the NDP has lots of good policy positions, like po- withdrawing from NATO, etc.
0: What can we expect from a conservative majority government with regards to defense policy and foreign policy?
9: Well, I mean, we can expect them to do more of what they're, what they've already been doing, going along with whatever NATO, U.S.-led wars come along, and uh, sending in whatever Canadian military equipment or troops that are uh, required or demanded by the U.S. military. And a conservative uh, majority government will be doing that even more so than they have been uh, as a uh, when they weren't a majority government, so that's obviously not good. But with the NDP as the official opposition, I think it'll and and having their uh, presence on the Hill increased, etc., I think that'll actually help Canadians to realize that that they don't really want to go along with the uh, foreign policy of the and w- pro-war stance of the uh, Conservatives.
0: What about the what about the future of the anti-war movement in Canada?
10: Well, there's,
9: uh, you know, I, I, as I said, and this really applies to the anti-war movement, the peace movement. They, we really need to um, make sure that the uh, that we work with the NDP, that we build a movement together, you know, build our movement, and that they are part of it, or we're we're working together more closely, um, and so that they don't fall for the lies and deceptions that often come through in the corporate media about the need for humanitarian bombing campaigns and no-fly zones and uh, the supposed need to invest millions of dollars in uh, war industries that are building parts for F-35 <laughs> joint strike fighters. Um, like There's a number of provincial NDP governments that have, that have fallen into that trap of wanting to help these war industries. Uh, well, so I think
0: that. we'll have to leave it at that for now. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. But thank you for your thoughts on, uh, on yesterday's election. Okay. That was Richard Saunders, head of the Coalition to Oppose the Arms Trade.
1: Alert has also reached Jeff Bickerton. He is on the staff of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and formerly the Labour columnist of Canadian Dimension magazine. So, Jeff, uh, would you like to give us a trade union perspective of the results of this uh, recently passed election?
11: Well, I think the prospect of Stephen Harper leading a majority government presents a real challenge to the labor movement and, of course, all, all progressive forces in this country. I mean, there is some good news from the election. I think we should recognize it. a record number of union members voted NDP, and these results will give credibility not only to the NDP and the party, but also to the uh, progressive uh, forces in our, in our country. From a parliamentary perspective, there's been some great additions to the caucus, um, including people from the labor movement, people like Nicole Tremell, Peggy Nash, Robert Chisholm, this is just naming a few, but these are uh, people that uh, are well known within the labor movement and know the labor movement well. But uh, I guess the most important thing is to recognize that there are real limitations of what can be done with Harper having a majority in the House. And so the real opposition to Harper uh, will have to be an extra-parliamentary opposition. And the labor movement has an important role to play in terms of building this uh, opposition. I think for the labor movement it means that we're going to have to put a lot more energy into reconnecting with popular sector coalitions. We're going to have to work uh, closely with the women's movement, with environmentalists, with anti-poverty groups, with pensioners, and groups like the Council of Canadians. Uh, to form a broad coalition against uh, Harper. And I think at the uh, top of the labor movement for the CLC, this means that they're going to have to rethink their emphasis on uh, lobbying politicians. You know, In recent years, the CLC has put considerable emphasis on lobbying MPs. And maybe that made some sense, you know, in terms of having a minority government. But now we really need to move from lobbying in the halls of parliament to putting people on the street. I think we can expect uh Harper to attack uh especially the federal sector unions. I mean this could occur through uh initiating changes in the Canada labor code, but it's definitely going to occur at the bargaining table. Uh, I think we can expect the uh Tory government to be incredibly tough and um, and that means the union movement's going to have to find ways of uh supporting each other better. We're going to have to dig in for some very tough fights. And that's going to require the labor movement to work together better um, with itself, with the different unions cooperating together more. And also it means that we're going to have to work a lot closer with our allies. Uh, in all, it's going to be quite a ride. And uh, uh, I think we're going to be into in some very tough struggles. And uh, we're just going to have to pull together and uh, have the courage to take this government on.
1: Jeff Bickerton, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thanks. And that was Jeff Bickerton. He is on the staff of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and formerly labour columnist of Canadian Dimension magazine. Alert has also reached John Clark. He is the leader of the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty. So, John, as leader of OCAP, how would you assess the results of the election just passed, and and where do you think we go from here?
12: Well, um... When we went into this election, as far as we were concerned, we understood very well that, uh, that unfortunately, we were dealing with a situation where, in terms of electoral choices, it was uh, pretty clear that uh, whatever result came out of it, we were going to be dealing with a regime that was going to proceed with, uh, with implementing uh, the sort of the heightened uh, neoliberal austerity that has come out of the uh, that has come out of the, the, the crisis in capitalism, and that, uh, and that uh, is international in scope. But having said that, I think it's unquestionably true that with a Harper majority, we're going to be dealing with what is probably the sharpest possible manifestation of that agenda in in terms of of government uh, behavior. We're going to be dealing with, uh, obviously, uh, cuts to uh, to federal programs, but we're going to be dealing with with savage measures when it comes to the transfers to the provinces and then to the... uh, then to the municipalities and the local governments, so that's going to be brutal. Um, operating here in the context of Ontario and in the context of Toronto, it's uh, it's also true that at the moment we're dealing locally here in Toronto with a with an extremely right-wing local administration, the the the, the, the Rob Ford administration, and a real prospect of uh, of uh, of the Tories uh, taking uh, Queens Park, taking the provincial level of government as well. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be astoundingly, uh, astoundingly brutal. Um, uh, while, uh, while we're not, wild as an organisation we don't have a relationship with the NDP, um, I think it must be acknowledged that the uh, that the upturn in NDP support, uh, centred in Quebec but spread throughout the country, to one degree or another, is also uh, is also indicative of the fact that uh through the imperfect mechanism of an election people were registering the fact that uh, that uh, in large numbers people are looking at alternatives and people are looking to to challenge things and to uh, and to fight back um, but the really significant development as i've said is that i think we're going to be dealing with an onslaught we're going to be dealing with a federal government that's going to attack right left and center and that's going to be uh, taking place in the context of an international situation and so the really decisive question is going to be the degree to which trade unions, uh, social movements, are up to the challenge and are able to organise to uh, to fight what this government is doing and all the local manifestations that are going to take place of the uh, of the agenda that they're going to initiate. Uh, I think this is probably going to be the most brutal and reactionary regime that any of us have probably dealt with uh, in Canada, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, an incredible situation and. Uh, we are in, the, in the few years ahead, we're either going to face catastrophic defeats or we're going to learn huge lessons about how to challenge a government and how to mobilize a population to resist it.
1: Okay, John, could you, you've, um, of course, mobilized against a, a conservative majority government before. Uh, will the activism moving ahead be effectively a duplication of what's been done uh, in
12: previous years? Um, I think it can't be a duplication. Um, I think that uh, that we've uh, fallen into a pattern uh, of, uh, of, of believing that social mobilization is about registering, uh, registering an opposition, putting forward an alternative point of view. It's, it's about putting forward an alternative point of view, but it's about trying to ensure that that point of view prevails. So I think we're going to have to learn uh, how to take community-based and workplace organization that is strong enough and defiant enough that those who in the end decide how this government should move, those with the money, those with capital, uh, are actually affected. And it is actually possible to think in terms of actually imposing defeats on uh, on a regime like Harper. He's going to be incredibly arrogant. He's going to be incredibly intransigent. We're going to face enormous challenges. But uh, in the period ahead, we're either going to learn to do that or we're going to suffer reverses like we've never, ever seen before.
1: Okay, John, thank you for those thoughts. We appreciate uh, your feedback. Thank you so much. And that was John Clark, leader of the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty.
13: Hi, this is Mitch Penolick, and this is Music is the Weapon. And this, of course, is our last show for the season. And this show coincides pretty well with May Day. So because it's coinciding with May Day, I decided that today's show will be some of the really fine old anthems that us lefties have written over the years. You know, Tom Lear said, he said, we, we, they won all the wars, but we had all the good songs. And that, of course, is true. And so today we're going to play a bunch of our really good songs that we like the best. And here to start is Billy Bragg.
10: The people's flag is deepest red, it shrouded off the mass of dead. And ere the limbs grew stiff and cold, their heart's blood died in every fold. Then raised the scarlet, standard high, beneath its folds we'll live and die. Though we'll cowards flinch and traitor's sneer, will keep the red flag flying here. Dark as night. It witnessed many a need and foul. We mustn't change its colour now. and scarlet, standing high. In its folds we'll live and die. No so not coward And some traitor sneer. We'll keep the red flag flying here. It will recalls the triumphs past. It gives the hope of peace at last. The banner bright simple plane of human rights and human gain. Braves the scarlet, standard up high. Believe its faults will never die. If no coward's flinch and traitor's sneer will keep the red flag flying. The are fixed on and place The cringe beneath the rich man's frown And haul that sacred them down Raise the Scarlet Standard high Beneath its foes we'll live and die No so cowards flinch and traitors sneer We'll keep the, the red flag flying here. With heads uncovered, swear we all To bear it on board till we
4: Starful for
10: gallows grim This song should be our parting hymn Raise the scarlet, stand high Beneath its falls we'll live and die So cowards flinch trade the sneer We'll keep the red flag flying here
14: Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving then you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing. Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pen, and keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again, and don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin, and there's no telling who that it's naming, for the loser now will To win for the times, they are a changing. Come, senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled. The battle outside rages. We'll, we'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls, for the times they are a-changing. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times, they are a changing. The line it is drawn and the curse it is cast The slow one now will later be fast As the present now will later be past The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times they are a chance.
13: That was Ottawa's finest kind, singing Bob Dylan's The Times, They Are A Change, and I love that version. And before that, Billy Bragg singing the traditional version of The Red Flag. It's the tune of The White Cockade, but people thought it would be easier to sing with Tenenbaum. It isn't. It's quite beautiful what Billy does. When I was a kid, uh, my sister Alice Alice bought that beautiful uh, album, The Almanac Singers singing all those old union songs and i i i was the one who played it and i played it over and over and over and over again and on that album is the absolute definitive and best version of solidarity forever
15: Taken untold millions that they never toil to earn But without our brain and muscle not a single wheel can turn We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn That the union makes us strong Solidarity forever
13: wasn't that a lovely version of Solidarity? That is the definitive. That is the best version I know of. Finally, for our last song today and for the last song for the season, here's a song that you probably know and should probably sing along with. I learned it from my mother.
16: A new foundation We have been blocked. We shall be called Tis the past We must decide our duty. We must decide and do
17: it well. Take the fire.
13: was Mark Blipstein and the new singer singing that very lovely and a very sectarian version of the Internationale I really like it. it's one of my favorites and that's it for this year folks keep up the struggle
1: well that's our show thank you for ju- coming with us we will be coming back to you with new episodes this September as this to this is the last episode of our regular season if you'd like to hear past episodes, just go to canadiandimension.com and select Alert. If you'd like to leave feedback, just email alert at canadiandimension.com. We are also podcast on Ravel.ca.
0: The executive producer of Alert is Canadian Dimension publisher Saigonic. Technical producer is Tommy Allen, assisted by Selena Surich. Alert headlines by Chris Webb. Around the left, prepared by Ben Wood. Music is The Weapon by Mitch Padala. I'm Ashley Titterton.
1: And I'm Michael Welch. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension Magazine.